1: vanilla versus webflow. I'm Matt. That's Mike. And this week we'll be discussing vanilla code versus webflow. Then later we'll discuss how many hours we should spend coding in our web news. Now, if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us on our discord server, or share this with your friends. And now it's time for our weekly pain points. So Mike, please take it away.
2: Yeah, so this weekly pain point is going to be kind of a joint weekly pain point with Matt and I because we had a discussion before the podcast uh, about what we've been feeling these last couple weeks and I think we both landed on the same thing. So we're both kind of feeling anxiety a little bit. Um, I realized a little while ago I kind of went to the doctors because I was having kind of asthma symptoms uh, and the doctor's like, well, you seem fine in terms of asthma, but it could be something like anxiety. Like it could be, you know, I was having weird things where I was just like, you know, taking a lot of deep breaths for no reason. Like it didn't feel like, and then I, I was like yawning a lot, which means I didn't have enough oxygen. Um, but ever since that, I learned that it was anxiety, like most likely uh, I felt a little bit better. It's like, you know, when you diagnose it, you know, you cause I had this feeling like when it got bad, And I would start like breathing like really deeply and then like starting to lose breath a little bit. I would panic because of that situation because I'm like, I don't know what this is. Like, is this asthma? Is this not whatever? Now that I know what it is, I kind of just try to relax myself and it has made it better. So that's kind of been what I'm dealing with for the last couple of weeks. It's gotten better, but obviously there's still a lot of things in the world that are causing anxiety. So I have to catch myself and give myself proper breaks and stuff like that.
1: Uh yeah it's uh i think it's a it's a communal or it's like a joint pain point because i think it's a lot of the anxiety in general is for everybody and not just us because of the world the whole coronavirus things there's various things happening across the world different political situations or whatever it is like there's just a lot kind of happening uh i've personally had a bunch of like people like pass away sadly in my family some people are sick as well and and then like i've noticed For me, it's not an asthma thing, which is, so I haven't had to go to a doctor, luckily. Uh, That sounds pretty bad, but um, it's been, like, I get worried about, like, something that's completely random, and I'm consciously being, like, I'm not worried about this, but, like, my brain keeps bringing it up. You know how, like, if something is nagging at you, like, hey, you need to do whatever thing, and it keeps, like, coming up, coming up, coming up, no matter what you're doing. I'm having that, but, like, with really, like, inanimate and, like, useless things. Like, yesterday, for example, like... My HDMI, like, cut out for, like, a second. Now, I have, like, a receiver and all these HDMI things. So, sometimes they come loose. Normal thing, whatever, has happened, like, a hundred million times. Go back there, unplug it, plug it back in. For whatever reason, worried about that the entire night. And, like, I consciously know it's fine. And I'm, like, using the TV and everything. And, like, it's a TV. I can always, like, get another one. But it's, like, that just stuck in my head. Like, I had to, like, replace a caster on my bed. And, like, I was worried about that. But, like, I've done that before. I know how to do it. But, like, for whatever reason, it's just, like, one of those things where it's, like, as I go through my day, if something goes wrong, even if it's something super small, of which something will always go wrong, it just, like, sticks in my head, like, as if it's something serious. And that keeps coming back and coming back and coming back. And I don't know what it is. And usually, for me, usually I'm worried and I actually don't know what I'm worried about. Or I, I, I either don't know or I do know. In this case, it's, like, I'm telling myself, like... Dude, like it's a caster. I'm gonna go buy it. It's like ten bucks, you know, whatever. And then I gotta pull it out and put the new one in. <laughs> like it's so, like it is so simple. But for whatever reasons, like my brain keeps coming back and be like, hey, you gotta change that caster. You gotta change the caster. What if something breaks on the bed? What? Caster, caster. It's like what is going on? So I think it's it is like the state of the world and the state of things because like like yesterday I tripped on like a, a like a phone cable and I was worried about that and then later the HDMI thing happened. Then I was worried about that and wasn't worried about the phone cable anymore. So it's just like. I keep, like, it's like a queue of, like, stuff. And it just pushes the previous thing out. So, I think it's just the state of, like, like I guess I some health issues going around in my family and stuff. And there's just a lot going on. I think that's, I think that's it, to be honest. But, I don't know. I don't know whether anyone else is out there suffering from the same thing. But, uh, it ain't great. (laughs) Mike's situation ain't great either. But I think we're, like I said, the reason why it's a joint is because I believe coming from a non-doctor background that I believe it's probably like just everything happening all at once and our brain is like adapting in some way.
2: Yeah, I think it's also important to just kind of get it out there and talk about it a little bit. Um, it does help. That's that's the thing. Like if you just internalize it in yourself and you just keep thinking, oh, there's something wrong with me, is something wrong with me, is something wrong with me, and you never say it to anyone or you don't, you know, do anything about it, it just becomes worse and worse and worse with it. So that's why I kind of, it was a good idea to talk about this right now during the pain point. Yes, uh, because everyone like everyone experiences something different when when it comes to anxiety. I think, and it's just important to know that it could be that you know what I mean. Like it could like it's, it could just be a mental thing, or it could be you know the stuff that's surrounding the world right now is crazy, and you could be you, you could be taking it in a different way than you've taken anything everything else in your life, and it could be causing some issues. So just you know talk to someone about it.
1: And the thing is too is another like. Not to make this super long-winded, but I think it's important, like you're saying, to talk about, and and this can affect, you know, developers as well as anyone in any profession, and it can affect like the amount of anxiety can affect your work, but also in my in my experience, I'm actually more worried on days off or time off, because I'm now no longer thinking about that latest client project, that latest stream, I'm now like alone in my thoughts, and so like if, <laughs> whenever I have like I'm I'll like you know block off day and be like I'm just gonna play some games today. Because I like that's sort of like my down that's that's sort of like my ultimate downtime. Just I'm just gonna play some games. I'll like find something to worry about that whole day, and it's and it's that stupid thing. Like I said again, where like it's nothing to actually worry about. You know, it's not like oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. It's just like for whatever reason, I just get super. I it, and then you get that like feedback loop, where. I'm worried about, I'm being worried, and I'm worried about, like, ruining my day off, and then I'm worried about the fact that I'm worrying about the fact that I'm worried, and it's, like, this, like, constant... And it's not, like, debilitating for me, luckily. Like, I'm very much, like, a person where I'm... I'm just an anxious person in general, usually. So I can... I just still do stuff. Like, it doesn't debilitate me in that way, but it doesn't make it... It doesn't make stuff, whatever I'm doing, games or going out or whatever, as enjoyable. And it does... Even if we don't, like, necessarily see it, it does affect work. You'll miss an email or, you know, something, whatever it is. So, I just think it's important to maybe, like you're saying, just to sort of say it. Because I guess, con- like, content creators, some some talk about it, but, like, some don't. Like, some very much are... Either they're literally a character for the camera or their are Obviously, like, social media is you don't want to be you don't want to const, like constantly talk about like you being anxious right so you kind of like stop that stuff but i think it's important to acknowledge that yes like even content creators even though we're not like you know 10 million subscribers and all the rest of it even content creators can get it and some content creators to their credit do talk about it but i just think it's important to talk about um but what we're what we're here to talk about uh, is, is today is actually just web flow. So I've been doing some streams on Webflow. If you haven't, if you haven't checked those out, go check it out on uh, twitch.tv slash HTML, all the things. And I've been building the HTML, All the things website. Uh, it's, uh, it's slow and quick going. So I'm slowly getting going a little bit faster, but I'm explaining myself as I go. Uh, and also playing with grid. I've never actually used CSS grid. Uh, I think I use it like once like to lay something out and I think I wrote an article about it and that's literally all my experience with it so I've never used it in maybe like or I've never used it in actual production rather so um but I kind of want to talk about Webflow because we've had an interesting conversation on Twitter about this and like obviously during the streams as well and so I kind of want to talk about you know why Webflow and then, you know, a compare and contrast as to what is similar to vanilla, so like vanilla HTML, CSS, JS type thing, uh, and then what's different from vanilla in Webflow as well, and like why Webflow is so powerful, and maybe some caveats and pros and cons, those type of things. We'll just kind of have a general conversation. So the first segment here is called "Why Webflow." Now, this segment is just going to be sort of almost like an introduction to Webflow, and just sort of talking about it, as like kind of like a boilerplate for our uh, for our second compare and comp- second segment, compare and contrast sort of conversation. So, uh we you know Webflow obviously is a is a website maker uh that gives the uh website creator virtually full control over the user interface uh with just the Webflow designer alone. So that's like a compo- that's like a component or a tool in Webflow where you build the actual sites called the designer or the Webflow designer as I'm referring to it here. Um unlike many other designers that rely on pre-built components and widgets, you know, Webflow creations are almost built entirely out of components that are created within and controlled by Webflow. So if you've ever used WordPress, if you've ever used uh, Squarespace has a fair bit of them. It's been a while since I've used Squarespace now. But uh, if you if you use like a website editor, oftentimes you, you you know, drag and drop in a an Instagram feed widget And you really, you know, you may have some customizations, like a little bit of padding, a little bit of margin, maybe changing the background color. But if you wanted it to be instead of horizontal, be vertical, usually you're kind of out of luck unless there's a control for that. So Webflow is very much built like an actual website. So not to get into the compare and contrast already, but it it very much is it's built like you literally put it together. So for example, if you buy a template and we'll talk about this shortly as well, but like if you buy a template in webflow, for example, and you go into the nav bar, let's say it's a real easy nav bar. You have your, you know, your, your links laid out on the right. You have social uh, buttons also laid out on the right. And then a logo on the left, real easy. When you click in, it's not like you click into an editor and then you, you, you know, upload a logo and change the links in like some sort of weird dropdown. No, no, no. Like you are clicking on the div that houses the nav bar and then clicking into the nested div that houses those text components. And then those text components or link blocks or whatever they are, usually link blocks, they are in that div. And you can go in and you can change the hierarchy and do everything you want. And that's from like a purchase Webflow template. So you're given a lot more control, but you're still given like that pre-built nature. So someone built that whole thing in Webflow. They didn't click navbar, please, you know. So, that's sort of what it is. Now, there are some pre-built things in Webflow, which we'll get into, Um, but basically what this allows you to do as the creator, the website creator, uh, you can use your already, hopefully, vast knowledge of HTML and CSS to navigate that Webflow designer, to navigate that Webflow interface, and That is really powerful in putting together your own interfaces. So for example, if you wanted to lay something out using just Flexbox, um, you literally click a button that's like, you know, display flex, and then you adjust the the justify content and the line items properties, again, with buttons in the interface as needed. And common controls, obviously padding margin, you got to know what those are. And there's a visual control for that, but you are using that. And so you're effectively you, well, you are using your knowledge of HTML and CSS to put this together, but you're also keeping it fresh as well. Like I will sometimes go back because I've been working on Webflow quite a bit recently. I will sometimes go back and forget a property name. Like I'll, you know, maybe put put in like display like like box instead of bo- like block or something. You know, just something where I'm just messing it up a little bit, but I know what I mean and I can easily look it up and kind of like self correct. And so I'm still keeping it fresh. I, and I'm still keeping it fresh in my mind and I'm not like forgetting everything. It's not like I'm going to an entirely different syntax. I'm still using the syntax, but I'm just not typing it in. So it's easy enough to kind of go back and forth. And I'm only like missing like the odd little thing here and there. And, I, and it's easy, easily, you know, mended by looking it up now. With that being said, Webflow is an editor, right? It is a it is a creator, it is a tool, and it does come with some of those proprietary controls, such as things called symbols, um, which I'll get into, and other CMS controls. However, many of them rely entire m- many of them rely entirely on working uh, within vanilla code. So, for example. Uh, symbols is a, is a good one. So symbols is a proprietary thing that Webflow has, but it relies on you using your those vanilla controls, like I said, using the Webflow interface to build something. So a, uh, symbols are used for repeatable regions within Webflow. Uh, something like a nav bar is on almost every page or every page, uh, a footer. On almost every page, or if not every page, right? Of course. And so those are repeatable things. And you, so what you do is you build out your navbar. You build the navbar out with all your controls, your divs, your text blocks, your link blocks, your iconography, whatever you need to put in there, your images. And then you take that and you go, I want to put this on every website. And so you want to make it into a component that you can just insert. You make it into what's called a symbol, and then when you go to other pages, or even if you have, if you need it repeatedly on that page for some reason, you can go in and just like click where you need it, and press Add, and then symbols, and then click on the one you made. So the nav bar in this particular case, and that, and and it's just it's just a really it's just a really easy way to add repeatable components. And more recently, uh, we were experimenting on stream as well with this. Is more recently they added the way to, uh, added a way to um, have distinct edits per symbol. So like I said, symbols is like a web flow system. So for example, if you put the company name as HTML, all the things in a text block in that navbar across the whole website, it says HTML, the things, if you want to change that to literally just say H A T T hat, the acronym, you can do that, but it would change it across everything. But let's say, for example, for whatever reason on the privacy policy page i don't know you have you do not want to have html all the things you want it to say hat on that page but every other page html all the things you can now insert like dynamic variables i forget what webflow exactly calls it but you can insert dynamic variables so that you can actually change on one symbol and not the others while keeping the structure of the entire the rest of the symbol the same so that's super super useful actually there's been a few times where i've had to make two symbols, like navbar and new navbar, and then have to use the two, and then if I need to update one, I got to update the other, and it's, like, all manual, now it's more automatic, so stuff like that is very much like a Webflow component, there's nothing in CSS that necessarily makes that, right, there's nothing that you say, like, CSS, generate symbol, you know, now use symbol, there's nothing like that, that's very much a proprietary control in Webflow, but still reliant, in this case, on that sort of vanilla code type thing. Now, if you don't want to use, okay, the the Webflow CMS, because they they will include an optional CMS, and you would prefer uh, to just just use Webflow as a designing tool, you can absolutely do that, Uh, you can export your code. So Webflow will export your code, uh, HTML, CSS, and JS, so that you can use it as needed. Now, whether you're going to be hosting that website somewhere else as a static site, or whether you plan on using that sort of interface that you built and then just add a bunch of functionality with maybe other plugins that you have that aren't like Webflow compatible or you want to do it on your own infrastructure or you have another CMS that you want to use. That's a common one. Absolutely, you can do that. And so Webflow can absolutely just become a tool that your maybe design team if you're in an agency use and then you guys maybe host it for cheaper somewhere else because webflow hosting can get a little expensive or maybe you have uh, you know a big corporate client a big website that's coming out and so you build all the components in there and you want to use something like typo three or uh, i mean joomla or even just wordpress if you want you can you know retrofit it in so that like hey hey wordpress this is my ui and then I don't do that, so I've never done it myself. But I know that you can sort of make CMSs, especially WordPress and that type of thing, work within it. Couch CMS, if you want a smaller CMS, for example, all all easy enough to do. Now, the designer, okay, even lets you embed your own code as needed, uh, which extends the functionality of Webflow where it falls short. So literally, there's like an embed block. So when you go and add something into Webflow, you click a little plus thing. It's just an add button and then you go down you can just add an embed block if if uh if that uh, if memory serves i believe that's what it's called but you can add like an embed block and you can put whatever you want in there so you can add your own script tags in there and write your own js you can also put in your uh, you can actually put in sometimes it won't render it like it won't render the js live in the in the designer just by design obviously but if you uh make your own if you if you just have like a like a code snippet that you use constantly for something you can Uh, just put that in. Like if you have a, I don't know, a standard title with a wrapper around it or something, you can put that in. And oftentimes the designer will actually render that live. So you can see it as well. And that's super helpful. And it's something that's something that extends the functionality of Webflow where there's maybe some shortcomings or maybe where you want to do something very, very, very specific as well. Now that kind of concludes the first uh, segment, but I do want to point out that Obviously, there's a bunch to talk about on Webflow. So, you know, there's some examples that you were thinking of that I never covered. There's a bunch of examples of, you know, proprietary functions and that type of thing. We might touch on it in the second segment, uh, but just something to to keep in mind that Webflow is a big, it's a big tool, has a lot of, lot of functions. And these are just sort of the things that came to mind, stuff that I sort of hit every day or commonly enough when I'm using Webflow on the projects that I'm using it on.
2: So question for you, Matt. Yep. Um, have you ever done the export to HTML, CSS and JS?
1: No, but on stream, I did take a look. Uh, if you go press X, the export button, I think I may have to upgrade my plan right now or something to do that. But, um, uh, right now, if you look at it or right now, it, or like if you press the export button, it lets you look at it. So you can take a look and it. will you know, there's tabs, HTML, CSS, JS, and you can come and take a look at what you, at what How it built. How clean
2: is is the code? Is it readable or is it all minified? and
1: No, to no, edit? it's definitely readable. Really, really That's readable. I want to say it's recently. I don't know whether there was a control that I missed earlier, but I do know that when you publish now, they're somewhere. I so I'm just kind of talking from, from rough memory, but there recently they added a uh, minify JS and something else control as well. Uh, I believe that's for more or less like when you, like I said, when you publish so that it, you know, <laughs> so that it's like minified like on, on in production effectively. Uh, but I don't think, think it does that on export. I've never actually fully exported. I've only kind of looked at that preview, so I can't comment. and I'm not sure when they added that that minify control either. I just recently noticed it. So just something to keep in mind. But there is you can minify in that in production if you're using Webflow as your host as well.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it it would make sense to me if uh, on the export it wouldn't be minified and it would be in like very readable format because like you said, if you want to extend the functionality of the site or if you want to add your own CMS hooks into there, Uh, you would need it to be, otherwise it's going to be like gibberish, right? Like if it's minified, all the variables are going to be like A, B, C, D, like, you know what I mean? All one letter, uh, really simple variables that aren't human readable. But if it's not minified, then it might be a lot easier. Um, I'm just curious, like, I think that's something that I might look into at some point is I want to see what the non-minified or what the export actually looks like. So uh, maybe we can do like a combined stream or something and check it out.
1: Yeah, that'd be, that'd be cool to like, maybe use, maybe you want to have like a Vue.js project or something and you can see how to like interface with it. I don't know what, like, I mean, you know more about Vue.js than me. So, but it'd be cool to like, maybe, I don't know, build a page, build a single page in Vue.js or something and have it interface with a Webflow site and see, you know, an, an exported Webflow site and see how that, how that works together and how easy it is to work and maybe even throw a CMS in there or something just as an experiment, not necessarily yeah. a production project, but. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, So we'll jump right in right right now to the uh, the second segment, which is uh, the compare and the contrast. So I got two sort of subsections in here. So I have similar to vanilla and then different from vanilla. Easy enough. So jump into the first one, similar to vanilla. Uh, many of uh, your m- many of your knowledge, or I guess I should have put much of your knowledge of vanilla code is already applicable uh, when transferring to Webflow. Like I said, with that flexbox control, the margin, the position. I didn't mention that before, but the margin as well, or the position. Sorry, where you can you know set position relative, absolute, static, whatever else those type of things. Uh, all that obviously uses your knowledge of. Uh, Of HTML, CSS and, you know, some JS here and there. Uh, And this is also, I just want to point out, this is similar to how Tailwind CSS utilizes classes that build upon your existing knowledge of CSS. So, obviously, if you're just using vanilla HTML CSS, you know, putting in, you know, classes that are in Tailwind CSS, like d-none and stuff like that, if I remember correctly. It's been a while since I used Tailwind. But, you know, if you put like d-none or something, that's not going to display none. But it's using your knowledge of css if you already know the two so you know you install tailwind css and now in your head you're thinking i need to do a css display none you can just do again if i remember the class name correctly you can just do like a d-none in the class with the with tailwind install and it just does it without you having to go to your css file and do it and so i think that that's maybe why tailwind is picking up like i just i see a lot of tailwind uh sort of praise on on twitter a lot like that and um personally on, on Webflow myself, I'm praising it a bunch. I think this is actually sort of where the praise comes from, where instead of you learning like a whole new syntax and everything else, like you are learning a new syntax, but it's like very similar to what you're, to what you already know. And it's extremely similar to, you know, what your thought is. Like, it's almost like as if they, they take your thoughts and lower the bandwidth to the, to the, uh, the project, if that makes sense. So instead of you you know, typing in, you know, class, like just like just D none without tailwind, you know, D none. Then you go to your CSS, you make, you know, dot D none. And then in the, in the curly brackets display, you know, none, that's like kind of like a lot of, that's kind of like a slow bandwidth. It's kind of like a slow inner interaction. It's a slow addition to your project, but you can just stay in your C in your HTML effectively to do that D none with tailwind. And you're still thinking of the same thing. And again, I not having not been a Tailwind developer for a long time. Tailwind, I mean, I've used it like once <laughs> or maybe twice, but Tailwind like has its proprietary different things, of course. But it comes with it comes with the baseline tools that keep your mind refreshed. So you could realistically, easily, theoretically, jump from Webflow to vanilla, you know, writing your own project to Tailwind and jump all around. And so that even adds more sort of cred, if you will, to Mike and my statement where we say you should learn HTML or vanilla HTML, CSS, JS, because if these tools and these frameworks and these libraries and whatever start getting more UXified for people that understand the code underneath. So like you didn't jump in and learn, like learn Tailwind, you jumped in and you learned CSS and then you wanted something easier. So then you jumped into Tailwind right? It adds more cred to learning that vanilla stuff because yes, you could transfer over to something like, uh, like what, what's, uh, what's the, uh, syntax that react uses, uh, JSX, like JSX is, you know, like you can learn it and like, you know, having vanilla JS helps we're like understanding structure and stuff like that. But it's a, it's a bigger jump, if you will. Whereas this is a very small jump and you're using the same sort of thought process in my mind where, whereas like, I kind of understand JS to the point where I can, you know, control user interfaces as I've said time and time again. But if I, if I want to learn react, I'm going to have to jump into JSX and I'm going to have to, like, you know, start at the video watching stage, watch a couple videos, do the Hello World, like in React specifically, obviously, with JSX. And I'm going to have to start at that phase of of it. So just something to sort of note there. Um, also, okay, so uh, just to switch topics, I know that was a big one. So uh, also Webflow has the uh, advantage, just from a, pew, pu- from, a, from a pew, apparently, from a pure UX perspective uh, of previewing the majority of your design Like I said, some custom embedded stuff does not render live. However, you can view that design across how it would look on all the different browsers and across different devices. So you can easily check different breakpoints and you can even see as you drag, it'll tell you like, this is for an iPhone, whatever. This is for like a Nexus, whatever. This is for a, this is for an iPad Pro. This is for whatever. So it'll tell you. So you, you have this, this, this visual editor. And honestly, like when I go like production production, like big time. I will check on all the browsers. I'll check in Firefox and all the rest of it. But when I'm adding small changes, I don't even check. The Webflow designer is so good at rendering what the actual website's going to show. I've seen actually like not screwing around. I've seen one glitch, one glitch. And it was with a nav bar, not rendering the menu, like at the same location. So for whatever reason, I had to like put a huge top property on it. And I don't know why that was, but on the actual browsers, it was rendering at like 200 pixels down and I had to like move it up 200 pixels because, and then on the webflow thing, it was like thinking that it was way up in the air, but that's not how it was. But that was the only glitch I ever encountered. I don't know whether it was something I did, but I never encountered it again, even on other nav bars. And that that like literally, that's it. I don't check the, I, I, I trust the webflow designer to show me live what things look like. And so this is just a purely UX thing where... I don't know whether, maybe it doesn't fit in the similar to vanilla, but what it, what it does is it it, it it adds a UX enhan- enhancement to vanilla, where instead of you, you know, write out your code, blah, 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 then you got to go in you got to like check it on Firefox and check it on here and check it on there. And yes, maybe you're using some tools that allow you to just check it on Chrome and then like you're confident that's the way it's going to look like, but this is just like, another step, like, you know, you have that responsivity thing, you don't have to dive into the dev tools, it's just super quick, and then I go in, and I can quickly change all the breakpoints, and, or, like, quickly change, like, certain elements at certain breakpoints, and those type of things, it's just, like, a really nice experience, and the editor, the designer, in this case, it's right there, it's super easy for me to use, and it's just, it's not overbearing, and it's just, it's just a really good UX experience, is basically what I'm getting at, you know, not to, like, toot its horn too much, but it is super nice, and super not glitchy, which is... Kind of when I started, I thought it was going to be glitchy as hell, and I just ended up stop- I just ended up not testing in other browsers for the most part. so
2: So another huge advantage of that, what you were just saying, the the designer being so good and so reliable, is that's another step that you would take away from onboarding another employee. So if you were had to pass off this project to someone else and we were to bring someone else, uh, usually what you have to do is you have to set up their environment, and that takes time. And sometimes it takes multiple days because you forget a couple things here and there, and what that leads to is unneeded development, like like um, it, it leads to a bunch of time that's not actually development time, right? Uh, some it's necessary a lot of times if you have a complicated snack, it's absolutely necessary and it's important to do. But with Webflow it's kind of just like plug and play. Like it's all on on the browser. You don't need, like I'm, I'm assuming you don't even use VS Code for
1: a Webflow project, correct? Like
2: everything's on the browser.
1: No, I do everything. I literally just log in and start and start doing it.
2: Exactly. So that's like the person that you would be bringing on would be doing the exact same thing. They don't need any plugins. They don't need any dev tool plugin installations. They don't need any, you know, uh, like you said, it it tests all the different browsers for you. It tests all the different browser sizes. It's a huge advantage and a huge time saving and a huge consistency factor for your website design because a big problem in the industry for a startup especially is that onboarding process because it takes up a lot of time and usually in a startup everyone's working like 100% ham like I'm experiencing it right now and even spending an hour a day or two hours a day to onboard someone is not enough time and I know that's a that's a problem in itself but it's a problem that's kind of like you know if if there's a tool that can help you with that you're going to use it so if webflow is a is something that fits into your workflow then you could use that to also solve the onboarding problem and also get everyone on the same kind of page in terms of a development environment
1: that's a really interesting thing i didn't actually even really think of that is the fact that i'm effectively what webflow is actually doing is it's sort of modernizing modernizing uh, like a workflow as many web apps modernize workflows in other industries Where, realistically, you could give, I mean, netbooks aren't really a thing anymore, but I mean, realistically, you could give somebody a netbook if they're in your business, and if you guys are in the Google infrastructure, you guys use all the Google productivity tools, you could so easily give them a, uh, you know, a Google Drive access and just allow them to use Google Docs and that type of thing. That's probably why, or that is why, Chromebooks, especially the underpowered ones, are totally usable, because... The workflow of many workflows, like writers and stuff like that, has been sort of modernized and has been moved or could be moved easily from local computing, like using Word, to things like Word Online or Google Docs or whatever. And so Webflow is just, I guess, another one of those pieces where... You're no longer, you know, you got the VS code and you got your VS code plugins and then, you know, you're NPMing all your packages in and you're making sure that your, you know, CMD is running in this and you make sure you're on an admin account or whatever. And you're getting your directory structure all set up and your folder structure or whatever. And you don't, you don't have that. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't bother with that. If someone asks me, Hey, I need you to change this image. It's not a matter of me jumping in and being like, where the hell is this path? I literally jump in and go like, Oh, click here, click the cog click here, okay, looks like the image is good, publish, send them a text, it's done. And and it's so quick, in fact, and I've mentioned this before on the show, it's so quick, in fact, that we have a guy, we have a client that's more hands-on, and I've been live with him on the phone for like two hours, and I just did a bunch of the changes for him. And some of the changes I'll say, hey, that's going to take me a little bit or I want to like, you know, see what type of solution I come up with or whether I'm going to embed a plugin because you can embed stuff into into, uh, Webflow, of course, like I said, but I'm going to maybe I want to embed something or maybe I can, you know, manipulate or utilize a Webflow system like maybe that maybe that's like maybe would take more time is I guess what I'm saying. But the point is like a lot of those easy changes I can just do live with him right on the phone. And then the other the other changes I can take back, but it's only a day wait. It's not it's not like a huge wait anymore, and so it's modernizing that workflow, modernizing that experience. Um, I think we'll move on to the next subsection here, which is uh, different different from vanilla. So um, you know, Webflow does offer you know some pre built components, as I've said, and they allow you to continue working uh, without redesigning the wheel. So I'll touch on a couple other ones. I already talked about symbols. That's very much a Webflow system, but Sliders. Webflow has has sliders, like has a slider component. You can add or move sliders, those type of things. Light boxes like for images, you can absolutely do that. Easy enough. Um, And they have their pros and their cons, like they're easy to use. But if you want to really get into it, like Webflow, the sliders are really customizable in that you can add your own divs and stuff like that into them. But then there's some like, some like limitations where you know, the editor. So we're talking about the designer where you create stuff. If you're giving someone who is not technical, an editor account, just to edit, there's some limitations in what they can edit in there and that type of thing. So there's just some of those, like some of those, some of those sort of, what do you call them? I guess they're limitations of any sort of product like this, where they've designed it a certain way at a certain UX level. This is how they affect, they they expect people to want to edit it. And then Mike and I have run into a couple of times where people are like, Hey, why can't I change this? And then, I've had to like make my own quick slider <laughs> out of just like embedded JS, just because they wanted to do more specific editing. But you know, it, it comes with the territory, and it's a and having the sliders and the light boxes and those type of things are nice to have. Also, navbar tech, So uh, specifically, the ability to control and change from the fully laid out menu options versus a a navicon a navicon with a. Uh, a, a toggleable menu or a hamburger menu, if you will, where it opens and closes. That's a that's a webflow mechanic. Like it it doesn't. You get the ch- you get to select at this breakpoint. I want you to you know take away the menu options and I want you to want you to switch over to the hamburger menu or the navicon. So that's really nice to have. Uh, but that's also like proprietary, of course. Um, symbols also allow you uh, to. I've already mentioned this, but symbols also allow you to administer repeatable regions for your website, like nav bars and footers. Uh, and then CDN specific technology. So not necessarily. Um, the CDN tech itself I should say but it's more like so for example you can shuffle your collection items so uh, a collection is uh, like a CMS so like you, one of your collections could be all your blog posts for example so if you if you're a person that just it, the date doesn't matter and it's just like you just want your people to see something random you can do like a shuffle order which is a random order and to make that load quickly and to make sure everyone else gets the same amount of random stuff there's like the CDN will do that random sort, I believe it's called in the UI. So we'll do that random sort every 12 hours and everyone gets to see the same one because the CDN caches your pages and therefore your website loads fast. So it only refreshes that every 12 hours. So, I mean, that that's a limitation and a plus too. It's like just something to keep in mind. But again, that's not something that's just in your HTML, CSS, JS, of course. Um, So stuff like that. But also, uh, I guess this would be more specifically CDN tech is the fact that because the sites are delivered via a CDN, pages load really fast, even if there's lots of animations and transitions and those type of things. And while we're talking about animations and transitions, uh, Webflow calls these things interactions, I believe. And interactions are proprietary in terms of their design layout and creation within Webflow. So there's a whole interface. I remember when I started with Webflow, I think they were sort of toting that they had just pushed out interactions 2.0, which was like a new uh, way to make interactions. I think there's like there's even a checkbox still to this day where I can say, like, I want to use the legacy interaction system. I've never used that, full disclosure, uh, or at least not to my knowledge. But basically what it does is it allows you to have virtually full control over your how your animations uh, and transitions look feel how fast they are uh how they're triggered you know all those type of things and allow uh the like this interface you use real things like you use vanilla like like uh properties and that thing like move or like you know get bigger or whatever but like like the sizing and stuff like that or like uh you know where's the x coordinate like where is it moving type of thing but it's in a non vanilla interface. So for example, like instead of you having to, you know, make a trigger for if something scrolls into view, I literally like click on this, like, let's say I, when I, when this text block gets scrolled into view, I want it to like spin. So what I can do is I can click on the text box, add an, add an interaction to it, name it like text spin. And the, the trigger is that when it gets scrolled into view, and I'm literally just selecting this from a dropdown when it gets scrolled into view. And then it gives me like this timeline in which I can go in and I can say, okay, I'm going to, like, you know, at the beginning, its initial state is that it's, you know, just sitting there. It's at zero zero whatever. And then when I do it, I'm going to make it spin. So you can say, you go in, you say, like, at 0.5 seconds in, I want it to, you know, spin 90 degrees. And then it's going to keep, you know, and then at and another 0.5 seconds in, it's going to spin the other way. And then another 0.5 is going to spin back so that it's done like a full 360. And I can go in and literally select from drop-down menus, like, click in at click at the 0.5. And I click, like there's, I think there might literally be a spin control there, like spin or whatever. And I go in and I change the X and the Y and the Z or whatever I wanted to do. Maybe if I wanted to flip and spin or whatever. And so it's done in sort of a vanilla-ish way where I'm still, I still have like this fine tooth control. I'm still controlling coordinates. I'm still kind of using those obviously, but it's very much done in a like Webflow flow interface like clearly that interface does not exist and it's a much different experience if you're just typing out the properties obviously um but it's in a nice way where you can preview the like that's the whole point right it's one of these ux things again where you can preview the animation you can see how it works you can change the you can change whether it ease in out there's like the whole list you can click and you're like do i want it to be linear do i want it to ease in ease out ease in out what do i want from it you can do all kinds of stuff with it you can change the length of the you can change the length of the animation you can do a whole bunch of stuff like that with it um so that concludes really my uh webflow rant i guess uh but that's you know as we continue with the uh the twitch stream you're you're going to we've already seen a bunch of this and you're going to see a lot more of this and i know that uh, at least one of our one of our viewers has switched actually on a particular project from Using, you know, just a text document or like a like a whatever VS Code or whatever the heck they were using, and like typing out all of their interface stuff to just using Webflow because it's faster. It's using the same it's using the same knowledge bank in your in your brain. It's using the similar thought processes, whatever. It's just a faster way to see, interact, and create an interface, and it's the best way that I know of to buy a template if you really want to buy a template and it's the easiest type of template to edit because it's built in Webflow already. So there's no like, how would they build this? Like WordPress templates. Sure. They have their, their similarities, but like half those things, it's like, how are they built? You know, everyone builds things differently, but in Webflow, there's only effectively one way to build things and that's it with the designer. So that's Webflow rant complete.
2: (laughs) awesome yeah uh, I think that, yeah like the, the points you touched on with the differences are its main selling points um, I just one thing I want to add is like being able to get the site up and live really quickly without having to you know mess around with HT access files without having to mess around with a production server without without having you know all that overhead when you're like you can spend all your time essentially focused on creating sites I think that's a huge advantage. You don't have to hire a separate DevOps person. You don't have to, you know, spend your time learning all that stuff because it is, even though like HT access is fairly simple, even though like a static website is an easy thing to to put online nowadays with like Netlify or whatever else, um it's still that like you still have to learn it. And then as soon as you put a CMS on top of that, if it's like a headless CMS, then you have to learn how to do the links between the two. And although it's fun and it's great and like, you you know, it's it's interesting to put that time into it. And sometimes it is required because of certain functionality when it's just a simple site and you want to get someone up and running, it's really nice to have a tool that can do it all. Uh, Whether it costs a little bit more, I think that price kind of is justified with the time savings and stuff like that. So I think... It is an important tool to know when you're just trying to create a website uh, from scratch or with a template. It is again, like you said, it, it is pretty flexible in terms of the fact that it is similar to, to vanilla uh, JavaScript. So you're not learning a whole new language. So it's it's a cool overview, is what I'm trying to say, and uh, I think it is an important skill and an important tool that people can utilize in their library. So having said that, uh, let's move on right to web news. I got the web news this week. And I got it from a Reddit post uh, that's been doing pretty well this last couple of days. It's titled coding really eight hours a day. And I think it does point out a lot of good points. So I'll, I'll kind of break it down. So it's someone asking, like, when you go to work, are you actually sitting down and coding for eight hours a day? Like when you're if you're working from home or working in an office, is that really required when you get your first, like, you know, junior developer job or senior developer whatever? Are you required to sit down and code for eight hours a day, or is there some sort of different expectations? So, in a nine to five kind of workflow, how much time is actually spent on coding? Um, th- when you're when you have that pressure of a new job, it can lead to a lot of expectations that you're not sure about. So, when you sit down and you're, you're it's their first it's your first web development job or your first developer development job, you kind of don't don't know what to expect, and you if you've come from The service industry, or if you come from like a factory, uh, you think that you just have to be always go, 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 doing the job, doing the job, doing the job, uh, and maintenance is on the side like you do. You you might think that you have to answer emails at home, or you might think that you have to do all your communications at home. um, And that's just not the case. I just want to like interrupt that whole thought process. Coding, in my opinion, is not an eight hours a day job as in like, you don't, you know, open up your IDE and start coding for eight hours a day and then stop at like five o'clock and, you know, do the rest of the job because it does require a lot of communication, uh, especially when you're coding in a team, you have to constantly be coordinating with the team, making sure that you don't have any conflicts, making sure that you're working on the right thing and then, you know, sending it off for testing and then getting the information back from testing and stuff like that. So whether the nine to five works for everyone, that's that's also a question mark, but in the nine to five kind of system, coding is just one part of it because a lot of it will be taken up by communication. A lot of it will be taken up by research. A lot of it will be taken up by prep work. A lot of it will be taken up by many, many like meetings and stuff like that. That is built into that nine to five. You're not expected to code <laughs> for eight hours a day. And then on top of that, do all your other maintenance work. That's just not a realistic expectation of someone whether you've been in an agency where that you felt like that was required that's not a good working environment in my opinion now the question is like should the coding hours even be measured like should you report to your boss hey i did 3 hours of coding today that in my opinion as well is not the greatest way of doing it like it should be more merit based and it should be more task based so like your your boss should know what you've accomplished that day but it, i don't think it matters how many hours you spent on it unless it's Something that's like holding out the team. For instance, in a situation like um, the team needs you to work on the database link, right? And if you don't get the database link done in the next day or two, then it's going to start blocking the people that are actually going to be using that link to provide the other features. That kind of stuff, like if you're if you're 10 hours in to that database link and you're not even close, then that 10 hours becomes relevant, right? Um, and that's pretty much the only case that you need to worry about your hours, is when it starts to become, you're spending a bunch of hours and you're not getting anything done. Because you need help, or you don't have enough information, or uh, there's just a co- incompatibility that you can't fix, so you have to go at it from a different perspective. So that's that's where you can bring that up in meetings, like, "Hey, I've I've spent a lot of time on this. Shouldn't we, you know, consider a different approach or something like that?" But other than that, you shouldn't be like, "Hey, I spent you know thirty minute, thirty three minutes working on the nav bar, and I spent forty five minutes working on this." I don't think that that is a good metric to use. I think it should. You shouldn't be requiring your employees to micromanage themselves in that way, or you shouldn't be micromanaging them in, in general. And to finish off, and I'll pass it off to Matt right after this, um, a lot of people will start comparing it to like, oh, in a in a restaurant or in a factory, you're like, you know, you get to work and you're doing the same thing. You're working nonstop until you finish work, with with the exception of like a break or two or something like that, whatever's required by that, by that job. Um I, in my opinion, those comparisons are not the same for a programmer. Like this, it's not a fair comparison to make. Uh, for instance, if you compare it to like a plumber, every job is different. A plumbing job, plumbers aren't plumbing for nine hours a day or eight hours a day. They're not sitting there on one toilet and like you know going at it for eight hours. No, the, a lot of their time, a lot of their time is spent traveling between destinations. A lot of the time is spent prepping for the plumbing work, and then a portion of that time, like a good portion, is spent on plumbing. But again. Every job is different. We shouldn't be comparing it. Like again, it, I know a lot of office, like toxic offices, will do that. They'll be like, "Hey, this is you know, you're lucky you're not in a factory, but you got to code for eight hours a day because in a factory people have to work for eight hours a day." I think that's garbage and that's a stupid way to go about it. Um, because again, every job is different, the requirements are different, and the deliverables are completely different as well. So I'll pass it off to you, Matt, for your thoughts and answers to any of these questions.
1: Well, I kind of think this this relates to the. Uh to the the second of the secondary industry that tries to become like really really productive um i i get like high productivity vibes from this now i know you mentioned some toxic like office stuff and that type of thing and that you know that rings true too but i think that like the the thing that the thing that hit thing that like are off the top of my head i guess is what i'm trying to say is like when you were going through this, it just reminded me that I can't remember what podcast it was or something, but I remember there was somebody who was like a consultant, like a health consultant on a podcast I was listening to. And they said like, Oh, you know, people come to me and they, they ask for co- consultation sessions because they're programmers in Silicon Valley and they want to min max their productivity. And I know that, you know, I'm not going to get into the weeds of like the whole health industry now. Cause like, I don't really know much about it, but like, we're not machines. Like, it's not like we're going to be able to be like, yeah, like if I eat these carrots, I'm going to be able to program, you know, another 13 hours a day without even thinking. And then I'm going to go and like run on a treadmill and come back home. And like my perfect family will be waiting for me. Like, that's not like a normal, realistic type of view. Uh, I, I just feel as though we try to treat ourselves like machines a bit too much. And that's sort of the vibe I got from this, from this whole web news when you were introducing it. And I just don't think that that's right because one of the things, and this this might be weird uh, for some people to think of, but I always thought it was weird when, okay, so when you're when you're like a kid, you're always told like, oh, when you're an adult, you can do what you want. And then when you get a job as an adult, I remember I used to work in a factory. I felt it really bizarre that I had to like go to a bank one time for like a meeting, just, I don't know, arrange an account or something. I don't even remember what it was, but... It was like, oh, I I can't, like, go to the bank during their opening hours. Like, I'm going to have to, like, go and, let, like, some weird, you know, either a weekend time, use my time off, or I'm going to, like, I can't go there at, like, 3 p.m. for for some reason. And I just, I don't know whether that's just me being weird, but I always thought, like, adults really can't, like, do what they want. And I understand, like, there's probably some people in the audience that are like, oh, I'm entitled or something, I'm sure. But I'm not going to you know, not do my work just because I had to go and do a meeting at three. Like if I had to go do a meeting at three, I'm going to go do my meeting and come back home and continue doing some work and stuff like that. I don't really get, I don't really get like healthy vibes, if you will, from being locked to a desk that long. Like some people, you know what I mean? Like those, maybe those toxic work environments, like, I don't know. It just, if that feels weird to me, like, I don't know about you, Mike, but like, I just get the weirdest feeling when I say that, like, Oh, I can't do anything on any weekday. It's like, well, hang on a minute. (laughs) Like what's going on here? And I get that people are working and I get that. That's fine. But I just thought it was weird that like some days you're busy. Like some days you're busy working. That's totally fine. Some days you can't do stuff, but like to never like, like think about it. Like, like not like screwing around here. Like, there are people out there that will never be able to go to like their bank or do something regular on a weekday, unless they take a holiday and for like a one hour meeting. And I've never, and like, that's such a weird thought to me where it's, it's, it's like, what are we, like, what are we doing?
0: Yeah, I
2: agree. I think, I think that that, that's why I was saying, like, I don't believe in the nine to five culture. Um, I don't think that that's a, I don't think that that should be a thing, but like, we are lucky. Like my, you and you and I, because we do set our own hours and we are able to be very extremely flexible with our hours. And we understand, you know, grind is a grind and you have to put put your work in. But we also understand that like, you know, if you have a meeting or a doctor's appointment, you can go and take a doctor's appointment. And I've, I know personally people that can't, like they can't go to a doctor's appointment at 3pm or something like that, or they can't go to a doctor's appointment at 1pm. They have to schedule them for after work or weekends or something like that. So And that also, yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. And the other thing is, like, that culture of, like, you have to be in the office all the time uh, to be able to get your work done. Remember, like, a a few episodes ago or a few weeks ago, I was talking about that one guy in Silicon Valley that had three hours uh, commute to work. Oh, yeah. 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 So, he had a three-hour commute there and a three-hour commute back. So, that means he literally didn't do anything during the week. Like, that was his entire week was traveling and job. Yep. And sleep. Like there was nothing else. Like he could not, there's no way that he can go home and like go out at night or something like that because he's got six hours of commuting. So he has to wake up super early to get to work. So it's just that to me seems like extremely toxic culture for the person. And like, I like what you said about like, we're not machines. Uh, we should be like the work or like the, the manager should be treating us like assets in, te- in terms of, you know, we're human assets, not machine assets. And we, we do need our maintenance and stuff like that in terms of like, we just need to be ourselves and we need to be able to perform. We, we need to be able to set our own schedule to a certain degree. Because again, like what I was saying a few episodes ago, uh, everyone has different peak work hours. And if we can align our schedule around those peak work hours, we can get a lot done. Like if I, I can do more in the, in the peak work hours of the morning for me, like those three or four hours that I have, than I can in like eight hours that aren't peak, right? So that benefits the company. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. That ben- absolutely benefits the company. Even though I maybe I'm working less, but I'm getting way more done, and it's way more efficient, and it's way better code. So it, I think that's the kind of culture we need to bring to to the uh, to the workforce, rather than the uh, culture of, you know, this is this is the set time for everyone, and good luck, just get it done. So, because you're you're wasting your talented people. Like you're wasting some of your people that work better at like 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. There's plenty of people that work better at night. Like Matt, you you yourself work better at night. Uh, one of our developers, uh, backend developers, he's way more efficient in in the evening and stuff like that. Like I know, like I would say, like a good portion of developers are better at night. But some of them don't have that opportunity. They have to you know get up at eight six a.m. be tired all day and uh, get mediocre work done.
1: And, like, it's, again, I always struggle to, like, talk about stuff like this because I don't want people to think, like, oh, you're entitled, like, companies need to make money and, like, blah, 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 blah. Like, Mike and I do put our hours in. Like, yesterday I was, uh, I had plans in the evening, but it was, like, later evening, like, I think 10 or p.m. or something. And it was maybe, like, 7. So I had dinner. I came back, sat on my computer. And I was just like, man, like, I got to do this thing for, you know, sometime this week. Maybe I can just do it now. And I'm finishing it, finished it, sent it off, it's over. And I mean, that's better for our company. Now I, you know, have more time to do, like I wrote the show notes this week, for example, and stuff like that, right? Like it's, it just makes sense. And like, that was, there's my peak hours where I had, you know, two, three hours here and there, cause they were kind of loose plans. So it's like, you know, two, three hours where I was able to just completely finish off something that I thought was, I was going to finish midweek. And so then I can, you know, either, you know, take it – well, I literally, mind-wise, can take it more – take it easy and not rush the show notes. You know, I don't have to be like, oh, my God, like, I got all this other crap to do. It's not, like, a big panic. And I think that that's really – I think that that's really critical. I – I think I, like – this is this is also like a weird insider moment as well. So like, okay, having worked for BlackBerry, for example, I've seen a lot of just like the marketing material that we've all seen, right? But I like, you see that with everyone. So for example, is like, for, you know, if uh, BlackBerry has a new messaging thing, I don't know, and they, they like post a thing, you know how like they, like the marketing material, and this is for everybody and I'll get into that, is they'll be like, Hey, are are we still on for tonight? Like, that'll be, like, the, the, the poster. It'll, it's, like, a picture of a BlackBerry. And, yeah, we're still on. And then they, like, show, like, in one of the messages, like, the new feature on BBM or whatever it is at the time. We still see that in things like, you know, Samsung. not Not, not that exact scenario, obviously. But, like... We still see similar things on like Samsung uh, advertisements and tablet advertisements where they're like, you could easily switch from your Canva app where you're working on your work posters right to Netflix, you know, and stuff like that. Right. Just whatever. And I, I was talking to my one friend like years ago and and like this conversation just brought me back to this where I said to him, I said, you know, they never show the response to the message. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, they never show the response. Cause when that person asks, like if that, when that person responds to, are we still on at six? The answer in 90% of circumstances is sorry, I'm at work or sorry, I can't, I'm working. And he was like, you know, you're, you know, you're, you know, paraphrasing his response. He's like, you're, you're absolutely right. He's like, we all have to work, but he's like, that is usually the response. And he's like, we're, they're effectively like all marketing, is, like, selling us on that downtime, but so many of us, like, unfairly don't have downtime, you know, and that's not good, like, you know, that's really not good, and I think it's important, you know, like, you're saying to identify your peak hours, but I think it's important also to identify your peak, sort of, your peak recreation, like, me, I know that I need a day here and there where I'm alone Or if even I'm alone like in person, maybe I'm talking to someone online. But I need a day where I need to stop and just play some games, watch some movies. Like Sunday, played a game all day with a buddy online. He went to bed, watched two movies, and that was my day. And like I know I need that, right? I know I need days like that. But some people just don't even know what they want. And so they're just bouncing around between recreational activities. They don't even know because their time is so limited. Like, uh, we've had, I've had discussions with people where they're like, oh, I worked this overtime. I did this. I did that. I did this. And then I'll say, like, why do you even own a TV? Like, I wouldn't even own a TV. I would just... like, but, I, but, like, people grin and, like, they think it's hilarious. But it's like, I would just save money. I wouldn't even have internet at home. Why the fuck would I bother? I'm going to own a bed, one couch, one lamp. I'm going to walk in, do my stuff, eat my TV dinner, go to bed. And then I'm going to wake up and go back to the office. Cause I'm sure they have Wi-Fi. but like people laugh at that. But like, seriously, if you're going to like, if you're going to like limit yourself, cause I have like some friends that will do this where they like just pound the crap out of work, but then they take a long, like long break. That's totally fine. But the, I have people that will pound the crap out of work, like just do tons and tons of hours, but it's nonstop, like all the time, no holidays, no none of this. And it's like, now they're trying to like ram all their recreational stuff in like the Christmas break or something. And they're so and they don't even know what they like it's almost like they've forgotten what they've liked, you know. They they don't even know what they want. they want they want to play games, they want to watch a movie, do you want to do you want to go to there, do you want to go travel, do you want to you know. And so they're bouncing around like crazy and like I'm I'm kind of in and like in terms of productivity, I'm sort of an extremist where I'm like you either do it or you kind of don't. And I'm I'm I've like told people like why the fuck like why do you even own a PlayStation? Get rid of your TV. It's a waste of money. Get rid of your PlayStation Plus. Get rid of your PlayStation. And just like, I don't know, go to work. Like, if that's what you're doing, you know? But that's not healthy, right? But those people, like, I almost feel like it's unhealthy in a way for those people to chase. Like, having that PlayStation, having that TV, having that entertainment system in their house is like making them, like, reminisce and, like, want to take a break. But then they just don't. And it's like, I almost feel like it, like, for me, it'd be more unhealthy for that to be calling to me. And not do it. Now, I understand, like, you might say, like, well, I don't want to do that. Well, like, you know, take the, take the entertainment system and replace it with travel brochures or something. But, like, that is literally, like, if you, if I was in a factory-esque office or literally in a factory and it was, like, 16 hours a day, that's it for me. Like, I'm not doing anything. I'm not going to buy anything. Like, what the hell would I, like, I, I'm going to buy a car to, like, commute. And then I'm going to commute. I'm going to come home. and I'm not going to have any furniture because I'm not going to use it because I'm just going to go to bed and that's sad but it's like is having the entertainment system that i never turn on happier? <laughs> like it's
2: but it's perceivably happier. They could be thinking about it when they're off work even though they're not using it. I could see i could see that being a thing. um but i i kind of agree with you in the sense like i agree with you in the sense that like you shouldn't do that to yourself. Like you shouldn't be you shouldn't put yourself in a situation where you're not using any of your entertainment uh systems or any of your entertainment or tra- or, like or, or you...
1: not traveling if you want to travel yeah. or something right or, like... or
2: hiking or not hiking if you want to hike or you know going to the gym if you want to go to the gym like if you, if you're at the point where you're just not doing anything that's fun to you and your entire life is revolved around this work like work i don't like is it worth it like i don't... So, some people I know love a lot it, of people though. like some people like yeah, if, some people if, if, you're, if
1: you're if you're like a if you're a hiking enthusiast and you're a person that like i don't know lays the gravel on the trail i mean yeah. power to you like you're pretty much hiking yeah. all the time <laughs> so like of course exactly. of course there's like edge if cases. you're loving your
2: but if you're if you're hating your life while you're working and trying to do it just so that you can you know eventually have a better life i would i would think about that a little bit because like what's the year eventually is it like three years down the line exactly. is it five years down the line and what how do you know that something's not going to happen during that time where like you might lose that job and it might not be there or you might have health issues or something like that like I I don't know. It's this is another philosophical thing that I don't want to get too deep into. Yeah, like, but like, like, like
1: we're not we're not yeah uh, psychologists, you know, by any no, means. we're not
2: exactly. But like it's just it's one of those situations where for me, I I'd rather take the now. Like I'd rather have the you know the fun now rather rather than the fun later. Is that like, is that selfish? Like I know some people might think that's selfish, but if I can balance the work and the and the fun, then why? Why do it? Like, why? Why do I have to put myself through that thing just for that little extra bit? I always have that thing where, like, as long as I'm, you know, clothed, roof over my head, uh, having food, the food that I want to eat, and be able to afford the, like, you know, the vacation once a year or the vacation whenever I want to, like the small vacations. I don't need much more. Like, I'm not out. I'm not out here to grind to earn that extra, like, you know, hundred dollars or that extra, you know, get get to that point where. I don't know, million, like millions of dollars or something like that. Like I, I, I need to be just healthy, happy, whatever. And that's fine by me. Right. Like but it, need, it would be sad if be you wanted
1: to travel more than a year, once a year. And you like, yes. were just like constantly being like, like if it's, like, I yeah. see like a, Mike and I on a webcam right now. And I can see there's like a picture of a flower or something behind you. If that was like effectively a bunch of travel brochures, it'd be weird for them to be on the wall. But you know what I mean? Yeah. It, that yeah. would be like sad. You know, it's yeah. like,
2: it would be, it'd be sad but it's
1: not so it's it's fine like i i think
2: i've found that balance a little bit like i do have a lot of phases where i grind a little bit too much probably but i do have phases where i you know take a week off or you know have less maybe half days during the week and stuff like that i, I don't know i i feel like i've i'm a little bit more balanced in that sense than some people and um, and
1: everyone's going to have their imbalanced yes. times where you're going to be super into something cuz maybe it bothers you like sometimes something bothers you at work and you just need to want to get it done. Like, you're just like, fuck, I don't want to do this. Like, I'm just going to get this done this week. You know, of course. Of course, there's going to be days like that. But but yeah, I think,
2: I think, it, yeah, it, it's just, that's kind of how I feel about it. I feel, I feel that people should have that balance. You shouldn't be expected, again, to bring it back to the web news. You shouldn't be expected to just be at your desk eight hours doing maybe like doing work, maybe, but even then you need your time off even during the workday. Like you can't be on for eight hours if you need to do intense problem solving coding. Like sometimes you do need to take that 10 minute or 15 minute break, step away from the computer. It'll make you more productive. So I think those are the kinds of things you need to be wary of when you're going into a job. uh, Don't expect to sit there and code for eight hours. That's unreasonable for the employer to ask of you and for you to ask of yourself. Know that there's going to be a lot of time in between your coding and and other things that you're going to be doing communication stuff you're going to be like you know talking to team members you're going to be doing all that stuff so just don't be too hard on yourself i think that's what i'll end it with don't be too hard on yourself uh you know limit your the expectations that it's going to be just a grind fest
1: and I, i think my capstone will be there's there's you know uh So when we work with contractors or anything, you know, there's like a, you know, an unspoken amount of hours usually that like we expect. So if I tell someone to change a nav bars, you know, nav item, I don't expect them to, you know, suddenly charge me for 15 and a half hours. Right. But there's no like a direct spoken, like, Hey, 20 minutes only, bud. you know, there's none of that. Um, but I think in an office where like you're paid hourly, that sort of, that sort of like expected amount of hours can sometimes be lost on people because maybe you're new to the job and you don't know your boss that well, or you don't even know the job that well. And one of the things that I was taught and I've always used this and, and like, this has helped me with the figuring out the time thing is I'll say, it doesn't matter what it is. When does this need to be done? When do you want this done? And if they say ASAP, I say, okay, what's the cutoff? Like push twice. Obviously sometimes people won't do it. And then like whatever, but 90% of the time, I always actually get a cutoff date, or they tell me the first time, and it allows me to say, okay, like, now I know that this is urgent, now I know that this is not urgent, now I know when this is due, and I'm going to start working on it now, tomorrow, next week, when can I start working on it? doesn't matter how small it is, like, even if it's literally just like, hey, can you call Jim? Be like, sure, when do you want me to call him? You know, when's the cutoff? Like, what's this about? And I don't know whether some bosses would get mad, but all my bosses, I think it was my boss that told me that like years ago and I've always used that and that removes that anxiety and ambiguity because assuming your workplace isn't toxic more or less you are judged upon how well you completed the job was it done on time in a reasonable amount of time whatever right those metrics of like job completion not hey like you did a great job but you weren't sitting at your desk for those eight hours like what the hell like you know it, it's like who who cares like the That's job was done <laughs> Yeah, but yep. some people would be like, hey, you could have been done a job and a half. Like, what's going on here? It's like, that wasn't, a, was it, that wasn't what was expected of me. And they would still be like, no, eight hours, bud, you know. So that's my little tip slash capstone slash I'm going to run the conclusion unless Mike has any other comments.
2: Nope, runner-up.
1: Alrighty, well, uh, we'd like to uh, take this opportunity to thank our three-dollar tier patrons: Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript. Find him at youtubecom JavaScript. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design. Find him at localpathcomputing.com. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital. Find him at blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Self Made Web Designer. Find him at selfmadewebdesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker. Find him at thewebhacker.com. DL Ford from dlford.io and a bib hash dash from Twitter via at bib bib hash dash. Remember we're on that Patreon. Obviously that's patreoncom slash HTML, the things. And we're going to let this outro sign us
0: off. You've been listening to HTML, all the things podcast web development web design and small business we hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show and we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings and we hope you had some fun We'll be back soon but in the meantime hit us up on social media on Facebook Instagram and patreon at HTML all the things and on Twitter at HTML everything until next time this is HTML all the things. Signing off.